Hi, dance friends, and welcome to the Dance Edit Podcast. I'm Margaret Fuhrer. And I'm Amy Brandt. We are editors at Dance Media. And today we'll start things off with our headline rundown, which this week includes the Biden administration's reestablishment of an arts committee that dissolved under Trump, a complicated debate involving USC's new majorette team, and a just-announced immersive dance version of The Matrix. And then we'll do a discussion segment on New York City Ballet's Fall Fashion Gala, talking in particular about the debut of Solange's first-ever ballet score, and about how that premiere, and also the premiere of Kyle Abraham's latest work for the company, helped bring a different kind of audience and a different kind of energy to the ballet. Before we get started, though, we actually have some news of our own. Very soon, we'll be returning to a weekly format here at the Dance Edit podcast, with new episodes dropping each Thursday. So our headline-focused episodes, like this one, will continue to air every other week. And then on the alternating weeks, we'll have interview-based episodes, longer-form conversations with the artists who are shaping Dance World headlines. We are super excited to start sharing those conversations with all of you. The first one will drop next Thursday, and it is a good one. You do not want to miss it. If you are already a subscriber to this podcast, keep an eye out for those new episodes, which should start to pop right up in your feed each Thursday. And if you are not yet a subscriber, well, this is yet another reason to hit that subscribe button on your listening platform of choice. Okay, now it is headline rundown time, starting with some big news out of Washington, D.C., Yes. President Biden has signed an executive order reestablishing the President's Committee on the Arts and Humanities, which you may recall uh, was disbanded in 2017 under President Trump. The board had resigned in response to President Trump's uh, response to the Unite the Right rally. The reestablished board will advise Biden on initiatives related to the arts, humanities, and of course, museums. And committee members will include the heads of the National Endowment for the Arts, the National Endowment for the Humanities, and the Institute of Museum and Library Services. Glad we are back on track with that. Yeah, yeah, the Biden administration's cultural repair efforts continue. By the way, did you know that October is National Arts and Humanities Month? I did not. I was unaware of that until I started reading news stories about the restoration of this committee. So happy National Arts and Humanities Month, everybody. Here is some news kind of out of left field. Danny Boyle, the film director known for Slumdog Millionaire and Train Spotting, will be staging a live immersive dance version of the 1999 movie The Matrix. Titled Free Your Mind, the show will feature choreography by Kenrick H2O Sandy and will debut next fall at Manchester, England's massive new arts venue, The Factory. And when this news broke, our Slack channel conversation was all about what is it going to mean for this show to be immersive? I think I like crack some lame joke about dancers as bullets flying in slow motion <laughs> right. around audience members. <laughs> like, what are, what are they going to do? Yeah, I know. I wish we could see this or access this. I don't. I don't think I'll be anywhere near Manchester next year. But um, this sounds pretty wild. Andrew Lloyd Webber's Cinderella musical is getting a new name and coming to Broadway. Now called Bad Cinderella. The show will start previews at the Imperial Theater on February 17th, which just happens to be the night before Weber's Phantom of the Opera closes. An official opening is slated for March 23rd, as of today. Um, the contemporary twist on the classic fairy tale features Weber's music with lyrics by David Zeppel and choreography by Joanne M. Hunter. The musical previously had a short-lived run in Les London's West End under the name Cinderella. 
I mean, naturally, as soon as the news about the new title dropped, everyone on Twitter started quoting the Into the Woods prologue, like, <laughs> nice Cinderella, good Cinderella, nice, good, good, nice. Um, anyway, since this show starts its performances on February 17th, as you said, one day before Phantom closes, that does mean that Andrew Lloyd Webber's streak on Broadway will continue unbroken. He's had at least one musical on stage since 1979, wow. which is pretty wild. Very crafty. He is a crafty one. Elsewhere in musical theater, Hocus Pocus film producer David Kirshner has confirmed that a stage musical adaptation of the 1993 movie is in development. That news, of course, came right as Hocus Pocus 2 began streaming last week. We don't know anything about the creative team for the stage version yet, so stay tuned. But I hadn't realized that Kenny Ortega directed the original film. So many of his oh, wow, I films didn't ended up these cult classics. Wow. Yeah. Here's some exciting news out of Seattle, Washington. Pacific Northwest Ballet has finally appointed its first black principal dancer since the company's founding 50 years ago. That dancer, of course, would be Jonathan Batista, a native of Rio de Janeiro, who joined the company in 2021 after dancing as a principal with Oklahoma City Ballet. Of course, he was not the only one promoted uh, a few weeks ago. Longtime company member Cecilia Iliescu and James Kirby Rogers, who also joined PNB last year, were also promoted to principal. It happened after the company's opening night performance of Carmina Burana in September. Oh, congratulations to everyone. That's good news all around. A new award from the National Center for Choreography, Akron, and the Knight Foundation will give $50,000 to a living choreographer each year. Every fall, the Knight Dance Award will honor an artist, quote, whose body of work is distinguished not only for its artistry, but also for its originality of thought and impact, end quote. And it's noteworthy that $30,000 of that $50,000 prize will be unrestricted funds, money the artist can use however they wish. The other $20,000 will go toward the artist's engagement with NCC Akron. So exciting news. That's a pretty significant gift. Yeah. $50,000. It's great news. Dayton Ballet Artistic Director Karen Russo-Burke has announced that she will be stepping down at the end of the 2022-23 season. She's led the company for 10 years and has been associated with it since 1993. Um, her husband, actually, Dermot Burke, was the previous artistic director. She helped lead the company through a merger with the Dayton Philharmonic and the Dayton Opera, which is now called the Dayton Performing Arts Alliance. And uh, a search committee has been formed to help find a new director for the company, which is celebrating its 85th anniversary this year. The school is actually celebrating its 95th anniversary. Ooh, Big milestone. I did not realize that. Wow. Yeah. It is kind of interesting. I've seen a lot of like anniversary celebrations and it's, I, I always think of ballet as like a somewhat new art form in the United States, but like to see these, these major milestones, you know, 75 years, 85 years is pretty exciting. So our next story is a complicated one. Princess Isis Lang, a student at the University of Southern California, has founded the school's first all-black majorette team. It's called the Cardinal Divas. The team specializes in J-setting, a dance style traditionally only found at HBCUs. Lang wanted to build a majorette team at USC in part to create a safe space for the school's black dancers, and a lot of people have been really supportive of the new team. Some, however, have criticized it as offensive to the traditions and legacies of HBCUs. So in the show notes, we have links to a few different articles that explain the nuances of the story. The Washington Post just put out a really good one. Um, Essence has some good coverage, a good interview with Princess herself as well. 
Designer Anthony Vaccarello's latest collection for Yves Saint Laurent is inspired by none other than modern dance great Martha Graham. Tube dresses and hoods were the star of the runway during the collection's recent debut in Paris. Kind of cool. I love that. <laughs> by the way, I'm not a fashion person, but I thought the designs themselves were really beautiful. Yeah. And that's not always the case with these like dance design overlaps. Yeah, very sophisticated. And it's not just that you can see the influence of Martha Graham, like he's acknowledged that he was influenced by her. Mm -hmm. It's very explicit. Yeah. Over in the entertainment world, the music video for the Britney Spears and Elton John collaboration Hold Me Closer dropped last week. And while it did not feature either Britney or Elton, it did feature choreography by Jacob Jonas and a kind of incredible cast of dancers, including Donald Byrd of Spectrum Dance Theater, which I I literally gasped when he first appeared in the video. That is really cool. I know. And he's dancing alongside like a young child. So you see like this juxtaposition of old and young. Yeah. I love that the dancers were the star of that video. It's great. We have that linked in the show notes. And then we have some sad news, some um, dancers who have left us. Clara Cravey Stanley, a former ballerina with Harkness Ballet and Ballet de Caracas, and the longtime head of the Houston Ballet Academy, has died at the age of 72. She also served as president of the National Association of Schools of Dance. And in 2010, she was appointed associate professor of the School of Dance at the University of Oklahoma, later becoming associate director. So she has a long and established history in dance education. And um, it has also been reported that former Dance Theater of Harlem principal Stephanie Dabney has also passed away. She joined the company at age 16 in the 1970s. Um, I think she's best known for the title role in John Taras's Firebird. DTH posted some beautiful film footage of her in that role on their Instagram page. And I think uh, some footage from Fall River Legend as well. So please check it out. Um, she was really just a beautiful, stunning artist. Yeah. Oh, those iconic Martha Swope photos of her as Firebird, just gorgeous. So that's the end of our headline rundown this episode. But here is your friendly reminder to check out the Dance Media Events Calendar, which has even more information about upcoming performances and auditions and other Dance World events we maybe didn't get to here on the podcast. To see the full list of goings-on and to add your own events, head to dancemediacalendar.com. All right, so now we're going to slow down a little bit for a discussion of New York City Ballet's fashion gala. Amy's already dancing in her seat. <laughs> Amy and I were, were both there last week, and this is not a review. We're not here as critics, um, though we can talk a bit about our reactions to the two premieres that were on the program in particular. But we also wanted to talk about the atmosphere out in the audience. Um, the big headline event of the gala was, of course, the debut of Solange Knoll's first ever ballet score. Um, that ballet called Playtime was choreographed by Gianna Risen and costumed by Alejandro Gomez Palomo. And we'll talk about their contributions too. But Knowles is music royalty and only the second black woman to create a piece of music for the company. And a lot of people at the gala were clearly there for her. The mm -hmm. ovations made that pretty obvious. They were there for Solange, um, which is noteworthy because it was a markedly younger, markedly more diverse group than your typical City Ballet Gala crowd. And Kyle Abraham also had a premiere on the program, and he definitely helps bring in that kind of fan base too. Mm -hmm. um, that's a really, a really exciting development for this art form that, as we always say, urgently needs to cultivate younger and more diverse audiences, partly because 
greater inclusivity is just an important goal in general, but also because that's the only way ballet is going to survive. So I guess one of the big questions is, can companies like City Ballet keep young people and people of color coming back to other performances too? So we'll talk about that. But let's actually start by talking about the two premieres themselves. Yeah, so the show opened with Symphony in C, the fourth fourth movement of Symphony in C, of course. So it gave the audience its usual, you know, classical balancing at its it's best. Yeah. Um, But the first premiere on the program was Gianna Rison's Playtime, which featured a very, I would say, jazzy score by Solange, like a lot of piano, a lot of Mm -hmm. percussion and horns. Yeah, I I feel like I want to go back and listen to the score independently, just because there was Mm -hmm. a lot happening on stage. And there was also so much happening in the score itself, like all these layered jazz rhythms, actually really interesting orchestrations, the way that you use percussion, I thought was so cool. Mm -hmm. I mean, very different than what we typically hear out of the orchestra pit. Yeah. Yeah. And I believe some of her frequent collaborators were in the orchestra pit with the New York City Ballet Orchestra playing along. Mm -hmm. And then the costumes were kind of this fun take on the 80s pinstripe power suit, you know, very pointed shoulder pads and uh, hip lines and um, lots and lots and lots of crystals. Yeah, just doused in Swarovski crystals. I don't know. I loved them. I was kind of all about them. (laughs) I just feel like it's the fashion gala. Let's go all out. And he went totally all out. And I also feel like, I mean, the piece is called Playtime and Mm -hmm. it was extremely playful. And also the way that it played, I mean, very sort of thoughtfully played with ideas of gender. That's more of that at the ballet, please. Yeah. Um, I thought (laughs) this description in Pitchfork was pretty funny. It said um, they were splitting the difference between cartoon finance, bro, villain and high fashion Teletubby. (laughs) Yep. That's it. In the best way. (laughs) Did you feel like, Amy, I felt like... um, Gianna sort of let the other two collaborators take the lead so that in some ways her choreography ended up being like the least memorable part of the premiere? I would say so. I would say so. I mean, that's, uh, yes. I mean, there are certain aspects of her choreography that that stuck with me, particularly some of the solo work for Chun Wai Chan, which, you know, he's always great. Always good. Um, But yeah, like what you really remember are these costumes and uh and the score although i do those tableau that jana put together at the beginning and the end yeah. of the piece those do stick in my brain yeah mm-hmm. sort of vogue portrait okay so let's talk about um kyle abraham's premiere too okay first of all all choreographers seem to be in love with james blake right now i'm like william forsyth <laughs> I know, and all I his blake say. works and now kyle and james blake on the, on that train yeah i mean it kind of makes sense to me because it's there's something very like cool and moody about it, but also um, mm-hmm. very melodic and beautiful as well. So it, it doesn't surprise me that that choreographers are attracted to his music. Yeah, it's like movie music. It's very atmospheric. Yeah, yeah, he's everywhere now. <laughs> it's kind of funny. He's the new Arvo Pert. <laughs> Can we talk about Jonathan Fahori? Oh my gosh! Please, yes, that was one of my main takeaways from this piece: is that he's a star. Oh my gosh. So in Kyle's previous work um, for the Fashion Gala Runaway, um, you know, where he created this beautiful solo on Taylor Stanley that, you know, when you watch it, you're we like, I can't imagine any other dancer in the company performing this. It was kind of the same mm-hmm. situation. So like Jonathan, and he's in the he's in the core, um, but he clearly mm-hmm. has a background in other styles of dance. 
He's a comp kid. <laughs> yeah. And just a really beautiful mover. And I've seen him do some other things. I believe he had a nice featured role in um, Jamar Roberts' piece last year for City Valley. Yeah. He had like a, mo- yeah. a, a moment where I was like, who is that? You know, just a very beautiful mover, very fluid. So anyway, yeah, it was just a wonderful opportunity for him. It's also just great to see someone in the core get that kind of a moment on stage. And, and again, where you're like, who else could do this? I don't know. Actually, it's interesting you say that because and – I, and I think Kyle and Jamar are similar in this way in that in each of their pieces, there sometimes seems to be a dancer who's a proxy for them. Mm-hmm. Like the only other person you can imagine doing the choreography is the creator mm-hmm. of the choreography. Um, and that was Jonathan in this piece and it was Taylor yeah. in Runaway. And yeah. So that's interesting. And yeah, and I also just, I want to give a shout out to the dancers who start out in the sort of jazz competition dance world and then turn their focus to ballet because inevitably they end up as some of the most compelling Mm -hmm. performers around because they don't lose the versatility that they gained through the competition dance scene, but then they acquire a different type of polish and a different Mm -hmm. relationship to music that's maybe, I don't want to say more sophisticated, but just it's different. Mm -hmm. Um, I love seeing that. That makes me so happy. I just, I'll never forget Jonathan's solos at New York City Dance Alliance when he was, you know, (laughs) 10, 11, 12 years old and already so gifted. I also loved, loved the pas de deux that he did with Harrison with Ball Harrison? toward the end yeah. of the piece. Yeah, I yeah. agree. Just so quietly lovely and like really deeply romantic. Mm-hmm. We just, we don't get a lot of that in ballet duets like that for two people of the same gender. No, no. And like kind of two radically different dancers as well. Mm-hmm. Like they were definitely two individuals. You know, Jonathan didn't lose his sort of special quality that he brought in with his solo. He didn't all of a sudden turn into this like super classical dancer for this pas with Harrison. You Mm -hmm. know, I liked that you could kind of see their two differences as dancers as they came together for this pas Yeah. I was also sort of chuckling a little bit to myself because I think we talked about this on a previous podcast episode that Harrison is engaged to Zach Posen. Mm -hmm. And Jonathan very much has a Zach Posen look to him and (laughs) art imitating life. That's so sweet. Um, All right. So in terms of what's going on, bigger picture here, um, Amy, you were saying when we were talking earlier that the ballet discussion boards, which man, only in the ballet world are discussion boards still this big a thing. But anyway, the ballet discussion boards have made note of the fact that, you know, at a subsequent performance of the program, the same program that debuted at the gala, the audience felt just as different, just as like enlivened as mm-hmm. it did at the gala itself, which is certainly promising. Yeah, but also um, there's that article in Jezebel as well, where the writer sat in the fourth ring and the third ring, you know, amongst kind of not your usual patron slash celebrity sitting down in the orchestra section and spoke to a lot of people in there. And a lot of them had never been to the ballet before um, and kind of came specifically to see Solange's score or hear Solange's, you know, they they came for Solange, you know, a lot of them, and uh, they seemed to really respond to the program. It kind of killed me. The writer referred to Symphony and C as quote, fine, I got one word. sort of <laughs> old fashioned stuffy, stuffy stuff, you know, but that the people that the writer was speaking to out, out outside in the lobby and amongst the balcony seats really seemed to enjoy and respond to the program and respond to ballet. But does that mean they'll come back again? Will they come back to see a more traditional, to like see all Symphony and C, Valentine <laughs> program and feel the same way? Will they right. feel that same energy or will they feel like they don't fit in or they feel unseen or or that it's, you know, 
too conservative or whatnot. I'm not sure. I'm not sure if if is it an, is something like the fall fashion gala is it enough to bring in new audiences on a consistent basis? Mm-hmm. And then you have you know if you look at some of the comments on New York City Ballet's Facebook page, you have some people of other generations who really don't like this kind of programming who kind of bemoan classical ballet and bemoan Balanchine, you know, and and feel things are going into avant-garde a direction. Mm-hmm. I actually, see, you're never going to please everybody, but I kind of liked that it seemed like very deliberately they opened with Symphony and C before leading into all of these newer works, kind mm-hmm. of a where we've been where we're going. we're going not that the where we've been is disappearing necessarily but to set those two directly side by side and say all of these things make up who we are and what we do right. and sort of introducing people on both sides of the equation to the other side of the equation um i liked that i i also thought it was a beautiful performance of symphony and c which mm-hmm. you know helps advocate for yeah. that this this shift that's happening of course, it's flawed, like any big step forward is going to have some kind of hitch in it. But the idea that people who once felt ballet wasn't for them are now being explicitly invited to the ballet, that seems like that's what matters. Like it's the welcoming that's important. And it certainly felt like mm-hmm. that was happening. Yes. Um, something to keep in mind is that the fashion galas do tend to be a little gimmicky sometimes. And a lot yeah. of the works do not last. Maybe one or two will will actually get put into the long-term repertoire here and there, you know, but but that's kind of... It's pretty rare. The Fall Fashion Gala is often of just a very unique experience. Yeah. Yeah. I know. It's funny. I remember so many of the Fashion Gala costumes and relatively little of the dancing mm-hmm. that, that happened for right. better and for worse, I guess. <laughs> anyway, in the show notes, we have links to that story from Jezebel and also to a little bit of other coverage of the gala. So you can read more about the works that premiered there. All right, that's it for us this week. Thanks everyone for joining. We'll be back in two weeks from our discussion of the news that's moving the dance world, but tune in next week for the first in our interview series on this platform. Keep learning, keep advocating, and keep dancing. Bye everyone. The Dance Edit Podcast is a product of Dance Media, publisher of Dance Magazine, Dance Spirit, Point, Dance Teacher, Dance Business Weekly, and the Dance Edit Newsletter. Our hosts are Amy Brandt, Courtney Escoyne, Margaret Fuhrer, and Lydia Murray. Our music is by Celestine, with special thanks to Broadway Dance Center for helping us record those football sounds. Find out more about The Dance Edit and subscribe to our daily newsletter at thedanceedit.com. Thank you.